Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, everybody? This is episode 300 of the Talking Chop podcast. Uh, I'm Scott Coleman. I'm one of your co-hosts here. Uh, and joining me today for episode 300 is co-host Eric Cole. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm pretty excited. I am here for Scott Coleman podcast main host. <laughs> I, I am, I am ready for it. Uh, no pressure. This is so a fun little, uh, note keeping. I was uh, talking with Brad who is in Vegas this week. The very first Talking Chop podcast was on February 5th of 2016, five and a half years ago. So 300 episodes later, here we are. My first hosting, a little nervous, no pressure, right? But uh, hey, you know what? We finally got the week that we were hoping for with the Braves. They, they finally had that week. We've talked about it seemingly for three months now where we felt like this team was so close to breaking out. And what do they do? But they have an awesome week, and they, they ended Sunday on a good note. And uh, it looks like we're going to have a real division chase here over the next two months. Yeah, and it's kind of wild just because, you know, everyone has kind of thought the Braves were going to have to chase down the Mets. But the Mets went full implosion mode. Uh, now they're like they're heading for like third or fourth place in the division. Um, and, 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 and now the Braves and the Phillies are crazy hot. And, you know, so now the Braves are having to kind of keep pace with the Phillies, which they've done so well. I mean, five and one this week was really, really good. Uh, I saw a lot of good things on offense. The pitching's been really good. You know, a couple hiccups here and there that have made things a little more interesting than I prefer, than I would have preferred. But overall, I mean, like considering where this team is at and kind of, you know, <laughs> how they've had to kind of patch this roster together. It's hard to be upset with kind of what they did this past week. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when they lost Ronald Acuna, I thought they were, it was going to be a, a major uphill climb. And then of course, as we've said, if you would have told us in March that they would get only half a year of Acuna and Marcelo Zuna for effectively the whole year and lose Travis Darno and uh, your Canadian son, Mike Soroka for most of the year oh, and Waskari Noah. Yeah. Waskari Noah. Uh, who was so good early on would miss, what, 70% of the season. Um, it really is a testament to this team that has stayed alive and, um, and is now very much in the, in the middle of a, of a playoff chase. Uh, before we go into the week, I did want to plug the awesome work that the Road to Atlanta guys have done. Um, the annual midseason top 30 list for prospects is out. Uh, be sure to check out the site. There is a write-up on all top 30-plus in the organization. And on this very podcast feed, there is a top 30 podcast recap um, that Eric in the Road to Atlanta team did. So, Eric, if if you're a listener who doesn't always tune into the prospect side of things, um, why don't you give everyone a quick rundown of, of what the system looked like and your overall thought of everything? Yeah, so uh, generally the way it works is we do two prospect lists every year. One is a preseason list that's kind of comes out at the beginning of January where we kind of take the information that we got from the second half of the year as well as from instructs and just talking to people, and we put together that kind of that preseason list. The midseason list generally is the one that kind of feels the most well-informed just because we have a whole bunch of information from the minor leagues, and that's what we and that's and that's what the list that just came out, uh, which is 
we basically all of us put together our own personal rankings and then I make a composite from those votes uh, combined. You know, we, we I drop the highest and the lowest for each guy just to try to kind of prevent outliers from making things weird. And I'm pretty happy with the list. You know, it was a there's certainly some parts of the list that I was like, I knew I was going to get we were going to get yelled at a whole, about a whole bunch. Just because, like, for example, number eight and number 15 both were 2021 draftees in uh, Spencer Schwellenbach and Ryan Kusick. And they were separated between number eight and number 15 was separated by a total of nine points. Which, if you're factoring right. in the fact that five people <laughs> were writing, like, yeah. that's nothing. They're, they're, functionally, they're functionally tied. Uh, and then we also started releasing the list. And in the middle of that week, Spencer Schwellenbach went down with injury and he had to undergo Tommy John surgery. And that probably would have changed things a good bit. So... Um, you know, that, that part of the list overall was kind of, you know, I felt like I had to make sure I was clear when I was posting those posts that, Hey, look, this is really, really close. So just cause you see a guy at 15 or you see a guy, you know, in that teens range doesn't mean a whole lot this particular year. Um, but our top six this year was uh Christian Pache stayed at one. It was not unanimous this year. Uh, and again, it's, you know, that's partially just because we haven't seen what we've seen needed to see from a hit tool, uh, followed by Drew Waters, Michael Harris, uh, goes to number three, Kyle Muller, who's been awesome. And, you know, at this rate, won't be eligible for the list for, by the end of the season. It was number four, Shay Langoliers and unranked in the preseason list. Spencer Strider comes in at number six. He's been awesome. So, uh, that's kind of the top six. If you want to make sure you look at the, find out what the rest of the list looks like. Overall, kind of what you want to talk, you know, what do you want to look at, see where certain guys are, particularly from their most recent draft classes. Uh, make sure you go to Talking Chop. There's a whole entire stream that you can kind of go through all those articles and kind of see what we had going on, as well as kind of look at some of the honorable mention guys that, you know, didn't quite make the list, but we still like quite a bit. Isn't it nice to have minor league baseball back this year? I, I know for one, I really missed it last summer, and I'm sure you did too. And there was just something not right about it. I mean, hey, it was great. They were able to fit in a 60-game season. And, of course, it was a good year for the Braves overall. But uh, I, I really did miss the minor leagues. And, it's, again, it's, it's great work by you and your team. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Um, moving on here to really the Braves were among the most – busy and active teams at the trade deadline, which was just over a week ago now. Um, and so far, the, the returns on just about everybody acquired, other than Eddie Rosario, who is still on the injured list, ha- have been really good. Um, Jock Peterson has done a really nice job, and I think most importantly, with this lineup being so right-handed heavy, um, you know, Jock has been a very valuable left-handed bat. He's He's been leadoff some nights. He's batting sixth or seventh other nights. Um, I have been, I, I think of the three hitters <clears throat> of Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, and Adam Duvall. Um, I, I've been very impressed with all three, and I think especially Jock, he's been pretty smooth in the outfield too defensively. Um, he is producing at a very high level, and, and for being the first of those trades, I think the returns on that on that trade have been uh, really strong so far. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what Jock's brought to the team. He has like a like he fits well into the team, right? Has the same kind of energy, like really kind of that youthful energy fits well into with the clubhouse pretty clearly. And again, having those power bats, it feels like that when he comes to bat, there's a possibility something really good can happen, which hasn't been the case with some of the, you know, these outfield bats that we've seen or some of these bottom of the lineups in particular we've seen in the last month and a half or so. Just with so many injuries, I mean, there's only so many times that Guillermo Heredia and Abraham Amante are going to make something good happen at the plate. Those guys did the best they could, and there were <laughs> yeah. times where they, you know, they did good work. But, you know, the one of the guys, the guy who seems like he's just been a, a bit of a heist 
has been Jorge Soler to me. Yes. I mean, he's a, yeah. I mean, he just hits the ball hard every single game. The results aren't always there. Like today's a good example. In the late in the game, he had, he hit a rocket, just, you know, hit it right at a guy. And it just feels like, you know, he's, he's already hit three home runs with the Braves and they gave, they gave up a relief prospect and not, pro- and I would argue, Strongly that it wasn't even their best relief prospect that they have in the system, and they get and they get they get a legitimate power bat. He hasn't had a good he didn't have a good season to start the season, but had like shown some power. And AA took a chance on him as a guy who could help lengthen this lineup. And like now he's like basically slotted in in second lineup, regardless if it's lefties or righties. I'm, I'm not sure if that sticks. Obviously, once sure. Rosario comes back, but I mean he's been really good. And you know, and Duval, Duval had a good game today. Uh, yeah. Sand some dis- defensive. Interest, interesting maneuvers uh, out, <laughs> uh, out there today. Yeah, yeah it wasn't 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 a finest day in the field for him today, but you know he's he's been just doing good work overall. He's just been good, you know. And you know, combine that. I, I want to kind of pick your brain on this. I didn't. I thought that Richard Rodriguez was going to be a good addition to the bullpen. I did not think that he would immediately slot in and be probably the best bullpen arm in the Braves bullpen. Yeah. Uh, wh- where, where are you at with him? <laughs> you know, I I took a little bit of flack on trade deadline day and. Um, you know, I, I think Richard Rodriguez has been awesome. Like, I, I have full confidence in this guy. He throws strikes. Um, you know, I, I thought he was a good reliever. I, I did not know he was necessarily this good. Um, he is kind of a, I don't want to call him a unicorn, but he, he has certainly been a very welcome addition to this bullpen. He lengthens it. He's pitched in the fifth inning. He's pitched in the eighth inning. I mean, that that's really valuable. He can cover multiple innings, as he did on Sunday. I have been very impressed with him, and, and even better, he is under contract cheaply for two more years. Um, so the, that trade, especially one that came in after the 1 p.m. or 4 p.m. deadline, rather, um, th- that looks like a complete steal. And, and frankly, all of these additions so far have looked really, really good. I, I know um, we, we were talking before we came on, Eric, about what makes Richard Rodriguez successful on the mound despite not throwing upper 90s or not having a wipeout slider. Um he, he is impressive and, and frankly, it's, it's fun to watch him pitch because you watch him throw these 92, 93 mile an hour fastballs and you're thinking, how are these guys not crushing him? Like, like these are, yep. Yep. right? Like it's not, it's not Craig Kimbrough out there where it's like, man, I would just stand up there and hope he throws four balls before he throws three strikes because I'm not going to touch him. Um, his fastball is remarkable and he has been a very, very big addition so far. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just something that just doesn't seem like guys can time up that fast. I mean, and again, you'd think that major league hitters could time up 92, no problem, especially when he's throwing it in the zone, but he just, he gets, as, as Ivan was talk, telling us, is that he gets a lot of horizontal movement on the pitch, yeah. and that's just not something that we, typically what we've seen in, I would say, before the last four years or so, we saw the sinker, right? It would dive down. Maybe yeah. you got a little bit of horizontal, but it'd be down, but then pit, hitters learn how to hit that. And, you know, you'd get a little, again, a little arm side run, a little glove side run here and there, but it was like getting the ball down, getting ground balls. But then with, as like launch angle became a thing, you know, all of a sudden a sinker ball was asking for trouble. You get to be really good at throwing it and spotting it to be able to live that way. And then you started seeing these rising hard fastballs, these four seams that kind of rode up and tried to almost clip, just clip the top of the zone before they were, you know, heading towards the umpire's mask. 
And again, a little bit of run here and there, but in Rosario's case, he gets a lot of horizontal move on the pitch. And that's just not something that hitters seem to have any idea what to do with right now. And yeah. he just, it gets good results. A lot of pop-ups, a lot of weak fly balls, you know, occasionally a one gets hit hard, but it doesn't seem very often to me. And he's been really good with the Braves so far. So yeah. again, for, and for giving up what they gave up for him, I mean, you know, I like Bryce Wilson just fine, but you know, he just didn't seem he had a future here and to send him to Pittsburgh to get two more years of this guy too. I'm, I'm all, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up Bryce because, you know, him riding the shuttle between Gwinnett and Atlanta, I don't think was doing anybody any good. I I think for his sake, he's probably happier in Pittsburgh getting, even if it is one of the worst teams in the league, he's getting a chance to start every fifth day, which is, I think at this point, we know he does not need a ton more time in the minors. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. It it was certainly a worthwhile move and um, it is, it's worked out so far. Um, in the additional good news department for this team, and, and this was a very good last week or so for the Atlanta Braves, uh, yep. Travis Darno is uh, apparently coming back this week. Uh, Mark Bowman suggested he could be back on Tuesday as they begin a three-game series with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Darno had been splitting some time both catching and DHing. He, of course, has been out since, what, end of April with a, a broken thumb um, and I'm sorry to say, but I think uh, I don't think anyone's going to miss Kevin Smith too much as if he is indeed the one going down. No, I'm, or I'm, no, no I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a big jump. I mean, I know. Again, we we've talked about this on the podcast and elsewhere. We joke that oh, it's like making a, another trade deadline acquisition without having to give anybody up. But in this case, the upgrade from Kevin Smith basically every other day to Darno should be a significant one. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I. I keep looking at just, you know, I have no issues with Vogt. I think that he hasn't been particularly good at the plate, but at least when he's behind the plate, I don't like cringe. Does that make sense? Like when you're, when you just need <laughs> yes. a guy to, when you need a guy to catch and like the Braves like lost Arno and they sent Contreras down and I think they honestly could have done better just by bringing Contreras back up. But you know, that's, that's personally just me based on watching Kevin Smith and Stephen Vogt actually do their thing constantly. I just, I personally think the Contreras would have been fine to come back up. I think he'll actually hit. But, you know, in this particular case, when you have Darno down there, he had a walk-off hit today. You know, like, he, he's, he oh, seems yeah. like he, yeah. he seems like he'll actually do something at the plate. And again, further links into the lineup. Um, uh, and, Smith. yeah, it's been, he's been brutal. Uh, it, that, that frame, like, it was an easy strike three call in this game too. And he, like, the frame job was awful. And I'm just like, come on, really? I mean, like, the umpires in 2021 don't already need excuses to not, like, get the call wrong. And in this yeah. particular case, Smith didn't help their cause anywhere. Whereas Darno really knows the pitching staff. Uh, it seems like he's healthy now. I don't necessarily, I don't think he's going to turn into the 2021 Darno where he's, you know, like, like one of the best hitters on the team, but I think sure. that he will be a, po- a positive uh, offensively too. So, you know, between, you know, it just, it feels good to have him back uh, as well as having a couple of pitchers coming back too. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So more good news on the way. Ian Anderson uh, made a rehab start on Thursday in Gwinnett and then Waskari Noah made a rehab start on Friday in Gwinnett. Um, and it seems like there's been no concrete plan set here, but it seems like both guys are getting closer. They both might make one more rehab start, but it seems like you're going to be able to add both of them here within the next week or two. Um, I-, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is going to happen here? Because I think quite certainly you're going to put Ian Anderson back into the rotation um, and and presumably either Tukey or Kyle Muller will be moved out, at least temporarily. But Waskar is, you know, he's versatile, right? He, of course, last year he was in the bullpen. He was so good in the rotation to begin this season when they were desperate for, for innings. 
What do you think happens with Waskar whenever he comes back? So I think that the easy move is to put Tukey in the bullpen. Muller has been so good as a starter. You know what I mean? Like, it, I, I just can't imagine where he's the first guy out of the rotation, uh, especially with Tukey kind of having his struggles. And we all think that if Tukey could make that position, his, that his stuff in short stints could really eat uh, in a bullpen that really could use a guy who throws from the right side that could really <laughs> do some damage. Yeah. But – um, in, so, and I think that's the, Ian, like, that, that swap Ian Anderson into the rotation, Tukey to the bullpen makes the most sense to me. Uh, Eno is an interesting case because I maintain that I think he's a bullpen arm long term. I really do. Uh, mm. it's, but, but it's hard to argue with what he was doing beforehand, but when you have him kind of, his, his re- rehab starts have been okay to not good. Um, it, like, it just, he hasn't seemed like a guy who's like automatically like, wow, this guy needs to slot in and throw seven innings as a starter right away. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, what he looked like. And I could see a, a scenario, two scenarios where either the Braves kind of have him kind of as a starter sometimes, then also coming out of the bullpen while also having like in, implementing a six man rotation at times down the stretch where I think could do a lot of these guys some good. Uh, looking at you, Max Free, looking at you, Drew Smiley, yeah. uh, yeah. even, even giving like Charlie Morton extra days, extra days of rest here and there seems like a good idea down the stretch here. Uh, and that, that allows you, and, and having you know on the roster allows you to do that. Whereas, you know, maybe if you just slot him only in the bullpen, that doesn't give you that option, but also, you know, you might lose something there too. So I, I, I maintain that I think, you know, is still a bullpen guy, but I have no issues whatsoever with him continuing to try considering how good he looked to begin with. And I know that the first time he makes a bullpen appearance that like, Social media is going to be like setting the the team on fire uh, because they're like he this is our best pitcher he's our ace and we're throwing him out of the bullpen and all this other stuff. But I mean I I like that flexibility that Enoa has as of now to do that. And I think that 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 seems like something that they've hinted that they could do. I'm not sure if they end up pulling the trigger on it, but I hope that they do. Yeah. Hey, you know what? There is no such thing as having too many reliable arms, especially this time nope. of year. Right. I I love that you brought up. Um, I agree completely. The idea of getting Max Freed an extra day or two here and there, we know that, uh, and we'll talk about Max here in a little bit. I feel like with Max, and not to go down this rabbit hole, but I feel like Max has been off just a tick this year, and maybe that's the expectations after how good he was last season. Um, but yes, if, if you can give Max an extra day, historically he has been much, much better with an extra day of rest. Um, Charlie Morton is 38 years old. Giving him an extra day is as good as he has been. Is certainly never a bad thing. So it'll be very interesting to see how they work in Anderson and Enoa. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Muller has been very, very good so far. Um, Tukey is, has teased us a little bit, and I, I like your idea of moving him to the bullpen and seeing what he can do. Um, but we will ultimately see what, what happens with those guys as they get added in here. Um, shifting to the week, it was a very good week for the Atlanta Braves. They went into St. Louis. Uh, a Cardinals team that is kind of competing, uh, kind of. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, sure. They, that's an interesting – I was really looking at their roster. That's an interesting team. But uh, So the series got off in a good way on Tuesday night uh, against John Lester, who they apparently acquired at the trade deadline. I missed that completely. Um, but John Lester was not sharp in the first inning, and the Braves made him pay. Uh, first inning, Jorge Soler hit his first home run with the Braves. Uh, Freddie also homered. They tacked him for five in the first and one more in the sixth. Um, and that was really it for the offense. I think they only put on two or three base runners the rest of the night, but thankfully, uh, Max Freed was very good. Six innings, seven strikeouts, uh, four hits and a walk. And the bullpen, which has been a theme up until the last 24 hours or so, um, the bullpen has been very good. Did you have any takeaway thoughts from that first win? Just that it felt really good to kind of like getting Solaire 
on on the board. Like immediate immediate impact acquiring him off the trade deadline. He yeah. hits a home run, and like all of a sudden it feels like that what you wanted these acquisitions to be for the lineup is what happened. It's like that lengthening of the lineup really does matter. Um, again, with Max, kind of piggybacking what you were talking about earlier, I wonder a little bit as to how much the the changes in the sticky stuff rules has impacted him because one thing with him in the minor leagues he's he's consistently had these blister problems right this is this has been since he was back in Rome right it's and it's because his hands and he said as much is that his hands sweat a lot now i haven't looked at his spin rate numbers like pre and post like rule change or anything like that and i don't think that's necessarily the case with him but the the differences in what how much friction you get give you two Two advantages is one is the, the spin where you get the crazy sticky stuff where you can all of a sudden just like rip off these breaking balls that like, you know, have like 2,900 RPMs or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and, but the other is just having command and being, having grip period. When a guy has them that much, when he's sweating that much, I wonder at like just the adjustment period to being able to throw, having different feelings in your grip. Because there's sometimes like even within it bats, like you'll have like command of like three pitches and then two, you're like, what were you doing? Like yeah. what, where, where was that going? You know, like uh, either he'll leave a slider flat in the middle or, you know, he'll like, he'll spike one and you're just like, you know, it just feels like he's really struggling with that sometimes. Uh, but he pitched well in this game, right? And that just felt like a top, to, like it just felt like the Braves were so much better than the Cardinals in that series. They were yeah. particularly much better than them in that game uh, in the first one. And, you know, again, just, you know, got, Got some big hits where they needed them, put together a, a five run lead and just sat on it. Bullpen did their job. I was, I was, yeah. it was a really great performance to be sure. It was. Um, I'm glad you teased. So the next two nights were, in my opinion, two of the best wins all year. We're going to jump into those two games here in a moment, but first we're going to take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, we're back. Um, I thought Wednesday night's win, which was a seven to four win, was one of the best wins of the entire year for the Braves. Um, they went down early. Drew Smiley, who I, I think he was a little shaken. There was a comebacker that nearly hit him in the face. Thankfully, it got his glove instead. Um, he was a little shaky early on and, and then gave up a three run homer to Nolan Arenado. And the club was down three nothing. And there were some good vibes after Tuesday night's win. And then it's like, okay, we're, we're back to this. Um, but the lineup was awesome and chipped away the rest of the evening. Um, that they got an RBI double from Guillermo Heredia, who has been in kind of part-time duty here as we, as we've talked. I think he's better suited in a part-time role than having to play every single night. I think that just plays up, uh, him a little bit more. Uh, Jorge Soler homered again. Um, Adam Duvall homered, and then of course it was capped off by a uh, hilarious two-run double by Jock in the eighth <laughs> inning, in which generously ruled a double. Yes, <laughs> a, a generous two-run double in which uh, two Cardinals outfielders forgot that there's an outfielder standing right next to them and and collided and, and pushed the lead out to seven-four, which was um, very much needed. So I know there was there was a lot to take away from that game, but I think 
what I was most impressed with was the way, despite the early deficit, the lineup chipped away. I think they scored in four out of five innings after that, and they really did just chop down this lead until they could take a lead for good. I agree. I mean, the Benny Hill play was obviously the best one. Uh, that was that was, I, I was hysterical. I was laughing out loud on my couch, like like audibly laughing loudly. <laughs> yeah, that was um that that. I mean, we've seen some really rough uh, defensive plays in there. Like, I'm not sure that cracks the top three of some of the ones we've seen, we've seen not even in Braves games, just like league wide. I mean, like the the, the bias thing uh, against Pittsburgh was probably the number like number one running away. But that one was pretty. <laughs> yeah, that one was pretty yeah. hysterical. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Snicker pulling Smiley out of that game. I mean, uh, Smiley, like you give sometimes you just get beat by a guy like Arenado, right? Like you give up a three run homer. Yeah. So, I mean. If you're gonna get beat, you're gonna be beat by that guy. That's a, that's reasonable, right? Like, and Smiley has been kind of shaky, but I I didn't like immediately go, oh here we go. It's just you know you got beat by a guy who can hit, right? But two times through that order, Smiley didn't look particularly awesome, and it just felt like okay, please don't let him see see the third time through this order. And I I had advocated for a long time like this is just not a guy that needs to see the third time through an order period. Yep. And you know I know that's tough on a bullpen, right? But you know, he kept, he kept doing it and like, you know, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it really didn't. But Snicker pulls him in a close game and then puts in a real reliever, puts in Rich Rod, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, learning is occurring. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. like it, it, it went really well and it seems like that's the way it's supposed to go is that you, you treat those lever, even though it's, even though it's just the fifth inning, even though it's just the sixth inning, you put in a real reliever against the, the top part of their lineup. All of a sudden, you get out of that and it remains the game close, and it lets your offense make plays instead of just feeling like, oh, well, we're already down four runs now. Like, I know that no hitter on this Braves team would say that that matters to their approach, right? I know that they sure. wouldn't. But, like, if you're down 6-2 in the seventh, your urgency changes in the in the batter's box, and it could go either way. It could be like, wow, we really have to put a, a lot of runs on the ride. I really need to try to yank this one out, or, you know, like, well, it doesn't matter now. Uh, but when you're in a close game, it kind of – it feels like you guys can be a lot of guys can be more dialed in, and sure. that's what happened. You know, you get the R by double, you get homers. You know, Duvall comes up with a big hit, and then the Jock one kind of puts the game away. And all of a sudden, if that that I I'm with you. That game felt really really good because it felt there were good decisions being made by the manager. It felt like everyone was playing well, and even the guys who weren't playing well in the case of Smiley, they weren't put in so many positions to ruin your day, which is what we've seen <laughs> happen with some guys is that they're put in positions that they have not shown themselves equipped to deal with on a consistent basis. And that's where things get out of hand. And that's where yeah. you lose those close games. And that didn't happen. It just It felt like a really, really good game. So again, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. It felt to me like a, what the Braves did in 2019 and even to in 2020 to that, they go down early, but they, they stayed in it. They chipped away at the lead. Of course, this team has won so many games over the last three and a half years when you know, last at bat wins, come from behind wins, um, wins when they were tied after the eighth inning. Uh, it really did feel like a, a classic Atlanta Braves win from what we've come to see over the last couple of years. And I agree completely. I was pleasantly surprised that he pulled Smiley, um, that he had no reason to face Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. That is a very yep. right-handed heavy Cardinals lineup. And, um, you know, of course, Smiley is, is, that's challenging for a lefty when, when I think their entire lineup that night was right-handed. Um, that can be difficult for him. So I, I think kind of gold stars all the way around. That was a, um, a very enjoyable win. 
that was followed up by maybe an even more enjoyable win, although for a different reason on Thursday night. Uh, Eric, I don't know if I have ever seen a bullpen just absolutely lose it the way that the Cardinals bullpen lost it on on Thursday. Why don't you walk through the the chaos there of the eighth inning? So, you know, Braves are down 4-2 in the eighth. You start wondering, like, okay, you can just get a big hit and you can get this game tied. Maybe you can force extra innings. Uh, Gets the two outs. Then Freddie Freeman hits a single. Austin Riley hits a ball that I'm not sure has landed yet. (laughs) And then with two outs, (laughs) it goes double by Dansby. Hit by pitch, Adam Duvall. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you now, this was not the finest outing that we've ever seen from Alex Reyes, uh, who's a very, like, talented arm, and, you know, he was, like, one of the better pitching prospects in all baseball when he was coming up. Uh, And then five walks in a row, and it goes from a, you have to squeak out a a, a close game to the Braves are all of a sudden ahead 8-4, and we're like, what just happened? Uh, (laughs) You know, like, a little bit of karmic retribution for what was probably one of the more painful innings I've ever experienced as a Braves fan uh, in that that playoff series against them. Uh, Uh, Not quite the same, but at the same time, it's just, like, definitely different a different sort of catharsis than Wednesday where it just felt like, you know, the, the brave, all the decisions were, were being made correctly. And like, you know, everyone just played really well to like, just like the Cardinals keeps going, Hey guys, here's a win. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and, and for a team that really kind of has really needed to keep pace with a really hot Phillies team right now, uh, and a really, really not hot Mets team, like falling, you don't want to like lose games uh, in those situations and just getting handed a win like that felt really nice to be sure. Yeah. That was crazy. My uh, my father-in-law is a big Cardinals fan, and he texted me after about the third walk in a row, a what the bleep. Uh, it was, I can only imagine the, the Cardinal fans behind home plate were just losing their minds watching their bullpen completely implode. Uh, that was a, a very fun win. Um, and as you said, a needed win. I mean, this, as, as much fun as it has been watching the Mets implode over the last week and a half, uh, the Phillies, I think, have won eight games in a row now. Um, they look like they are going to be the Braves' primary competition here. The Mets have a brutal schedule over the next month and a half. That's pretty rough. Yeah. They play, for the next two weeks, they play the San Francisco Giants twice and the Los Angeles Dodgers twice. Um, yep, good luck. That, yeah, good luck and Godspeed. Um, and, and not only that, but going out west for East Coast teams, I feel like is always a challenge. I know, you know, historically the Braves have not been good whenever they have to travel out to California. Um, so th- that's a, a, a very difficult week ahead or two weeks ahead for the Mets and, uh, we will see how the East plays out. Um, fast forwarding now to Friday. It was an interesting night. Braves won eight to four. Um, Kyle Muller was not very sharp. I think he sent four fastballs to the backstop because he just, he just did not have his command. Um, overall against a bad Nationals lineup, especially without Juan Soto. Um, you know, Muller was not bad, but I think we saw a little bit of what held him back as a prospect in the minor leagues. Um, he worked four and two third innings, couldn't get out of the fifth. Uh, only gave up two hits and two walks. Had a couple of strikeouts, but did give up three runs in those four and two-third innings. Um, what did you see on that night from Muller, and, and what do you think of him going forward? Uh, I still like him as a starter a lot. I think he's made a lot of strides. And I think that there's just a guy that's as big a frame as he is. Like sometimes, like, 
it does he doesn't have to be off by much to make his pitches off by a lot. Does that make sense? Like if his just like his just not in complete control of his body that particular day, uh, it's just like his arms just not he's not repeating his action quite the same way. Uh, and the nice thing that the nice thing about that particular game too was that you know even though he looked rough at times, he wasn't getting hit. You know what I mean? Like he was, he, he was, he gave up, he only right. walked a couple, he only gave up a couple walks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like he got, he got a couple big hits off of him, which is ultimately, you know, what put the runs on, but it wasn't like he got like, he couldn't escape the third inning and was just getting hit around. He just couldn't, this wasn't quite sharp. A lot of long at bats, um, a lot of guys fouling off pitches and stuff like that. And you know, when you're not sharp and all of a sudden you're getting like guys are being able to foul off your pitches a lot more than normal as opposed to either, you know, hitting weak grounders or missing those bats completely. It, it just can wear out a guy too. So again, if this is the version of Kyle Moore that isn't sharp, if this is like his bad outings, he's going to be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if this is like now we have seen in the past when he was in the minors that when he was not right, Things got out of hand in a hurry, and I mean really out of hand. And I didn't feel like, you just feel like he was really just kind of just struggling, really having to grind out there. And he didn't get the full five innings, but, you know, considering how sharp he didn't look at times, like I was perfectly fine with the result. And overall, he's just been so good about bouncing back from times where he's like, even bouncing back inning to inning where he'll have like an inning where he might walk two guys, but he comes back and he throws a bunch of strikes and comes back strong. I don't think this is something to worry about necessarily. Um, I still maintain, and I will, you know, shout this from the rooftops. I really do think that Mike Morath, the pitching coach down in Gwinnett, needs to be the pitching coach of the Braves because <laughs> everyone seems to get better when they go and talk to him. Uh, so a couple notable exceptions to that, but sometimes guys just can't get it done. But sure. I do think that he seems to really understand what these guys need to be able to throw strikes and to be able to, like, whatever they are as pitchers, he seems to know how to make them capitalize on that. I'm not necessarily certain that Kranitz can do that. There are certainly some positive things to Cranny, but I I think that he, this team would be very well served to bring him in to manage his pitching staff. It would just be better. It's not necessarily a knock mm-hmm. on one guy as much as just kind of making this team better. I hope they make the change too. Yeah, you you are not alone in that. Um, I, I have heard nothing but good things as well, especially from you and our prospect teams of what he's done for the Gwinnett pitching staff. So, hey, I'm I'm probably all for that one. Um, the bullpen, thankfully, um, even as, as Mueller was not as sharp as he has been, um, the bullpen was excellent. They covered the final four and a third innings, uh, just gave up one run, which was kind of garbage time at that point. It was eight to three in the ninth inning. Um, Luke Jackson struck out the side. He was awesome. Um, and the other guy who I wanted to talk about a little bit here was Tyler Matzik. Um, Matzik has had a very interesting year. Of course, he was so, so good last year um, you know, in, in a – comeback player of the year type role. And then, you know, he lost himself a little bit this year. There was a point where he was really barely pitching and there was a lot of speculation of, is he hurt? Is he, is he learning how to pitch a little bit without the sticky stuff? His, his spin rates did drop off a little bit whenever that band came in. Uh, but Tyler Matzik over the last maybe two weeks has been lights out. He has been every bit as good as what he was last year. Um, and, and if you start looking at this bullpen here with the addition of Richard Rodriguez, and you have Chris Martin, who has generally been pretty stable this year. He's had a couple games get away from him, but Chris Martin, and you have, uh, you have Luke Jackson, you have Matzik, you have Martin. Um, Santana has been better. Jesse Chavez, even though he got hit around a little bit, has been better. Uh, there's some real depth to this bullpen, especially handing the ball over to Will Smith in the ninth inning. Um, the, the depth right now feels certainly better than where we were at maybe a month or two ago. 
Well, I mean, that's not a, a particularly high bar to to jump over. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like we, 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 were, we were seeing Josh Tomlin in, in leverage situations, and that's not really where you want to be. Uh, I, I wanted the, the two guys that you mentioned in particular who we thought could be uh, like, quote unquote, sticky stuff casualties. Uh, like if you looked at the top 30 guys who lost the most spin rate. Uh, after that rule was, the rule change was made, Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik were both on that list. And Luke Jackson was like number six on the list. And Luke Jackson's been taking souls uh, of late, yeah, uh, coming in awesome. relief. He's been really, really good. And the same thing goes for Matzik. And I think, again, there's just an adjustment period for a lot of these guys. Like, they're just used to the ball feeling a certain way and doing certain things coming out of their hands. And it's just different when you have different levels of friction and, like, just a lack of tackiness on your hands. And that doesn't mean they're necessarily bad, bad pitchers. Without this stuff, they have to figure that out. And there's just an adjustment period for it and it seems like and again we're still you know relatively early into this process it seems like that they've figured out what they need to do to pitch well given the constraints that they're under right um and you know it was very fortunate that the heart of the Braves lineup decided to go wild in that game uh, made things a lot easier but overall I mean they the bullpen's just been getting the job done I'm really like I'm thrilled that the types of bullpen performances we're getting as opposed to kind of you know like just hoping that Josh Tomlin just like the fly balls that he gives up don't go over the fence, like, you know, that they can get tracked down. Um, and, you know, just like the, the hard contact and the, these way too interesting of innings, you know, these, these bullpen appearances that we were seeing for like a month, month and a half. It seems like what the Braves did to shore up that bullpen and to guide the guys who were already in that bullpen towards success seems to be, has take, has taken pretty well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, moving ahead now to Saturday, which was really the one blemish on this entire week. Um, Charlie Morton was awesome. He uh, he brought his big boy pants and pitched in and out a couple jams, um, but it was the lone loss. And of course, we know how uh, the ninth inning goes. And there was a lot of discussion, of course, about Will Smith. And I wanted to at least bring him up for a little bit here. Uh, you, you look at Will's numbers this year, and they, they really are. They're pretty strong. And he has, I, I think last year we can probably throw out the window a little bit. He didn't really have any kind of a spring training or summer camp or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he had COVID and wasn't really able to pitch with the team until, what, middle of August. And it was such a shortened and weird year. Uh, but I think there's a very fair question to ask about how confident should you feel whenever Will Smith comes into the game with a one, two, or, or three-run lead. Where are you at with Will Smith? I mean, do you – in my opinion, I, I think they keep him in the ninth inning unless this just becomes the norm again. Of course, last year he was just killed by home runs and his home run rate has come down back um, as we expected it to. But where are you at with Will Smith? Because he is uh, certainly going to be an important piece for this year and, of course, uh, beyond this year under control. So this is a tough question, right? Because typically relievers that have some propensity and it's not, not even kind of talking about 2020, but it's not like Will Smith is like, hasn't been known for giving up like hard hit fly balls. Right. So like any propensity to give up home runs is kind of makes things really scary, especially on days where they don't necessarily have their best command. Will Smith isn't a guy that's like getting a, like going to get those weak ground balls. And, you know, sometimes that they squeak through and, you know, you just have bad eggs that way. It's like when he implodes, it's because some guy hit a ball 500 feet. And that makes things a bit scary in, in high leverage situations for me. And it becomes complicated by the fact, and it kind of is very telling. And if you talk to uh, our own Ivan the Great, um, you don't pay relievers big-time money. You just shouldn't. And it's because they're very volatile. It's because that you know ultimately they're very rarely worth the value of those contracts over the, over the course of them. 
and it's a reminder of just, you know, of all the things that AA has done right. It feels like even if Will Smith was okay, which I think is a fair assessment of what his time with the Braves has been, which is that he has been okay, not great, but not like he's certainly not, you know, terrible either, is that, you know, they paid him a lot of money to be kind of like a lights out guy. And it's just, there's so, so few of those guys who maintain that level of production for more than like a year or two. It's just, again, like sure. you get spoiled by, you get spoiled by a guy like Craig Kimber, who's just like, he's put together a hall of fame career as a reliever, and, you know, and <laughs> it's just, it's a reminder that like, you know, on a year to year basis, this can change very, very quickly. Yep. And I, I don't necessarily ever feel great when he's in a game, especially if it's close. Um, it has worked out more often than it hasn't. Yep. Now, when it hasn't, it has felt particularly bad. Saturday was a very good example. They're mm-hmm. up 2-0, and very quickly they're down 3-2. Uh, <laughs> just he didn't he didn't did not look good in the game, and it's because you know he gives up the two run homer, and you know he, he gave it up to a guy who hasn't hit all year, and that's just part of what Will Smith is. Is like sometimes his stuff is flat, and it's just it's very hittable. Yep. And when he is that way, it's going to be a rough night. It doesn't happen very often. I still like the slider, but there's an open question as to whether or not that he needs to be handling, particularly if it's a lot of righties. I'm not so certain that I'd be running him out there just like as the automatic, well, he'll get us three outs guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I wonder that over the next seven weeks or however many weeks are left in this crazy season, if they will start, if, if Brian Snicker will start to trust Richard Rodriguez with the ninth inning a little bit. Um, he, of course, was in that role with Pittsburgh, and of course, you're not talking about, I mean, the ninth inning is always a stressful time, regardless of if you're in first place or in last place. But, I, I mean, the reality is the difference between closing out a game in the ninth inning against the Philadelphia Phillies in the middle of a, of a division race versus closing out, you know, a Pirates game with, with 12,000 people in the stands, I, I think that's very real, and I, I think it will be interesting uh, to see how Brian Snicker plays this bullpen now that we, we do have a little more depth. Um, Chris Martin, who we saw on Sunday, and we'll talk about him in a moment, um, he does not seem super comfortable in that ninth inning role. Um, he almost let one get away from him uh, this afternoon. Uh, but but again, as, as we've said, there's never a, a bad time to have bullpen options. Thankfully, on Sunday, the team bounced back. It was... Uh, Max Fried again was, was a little shaky, but overall he was good. Six innings, seven hits, just one run allowed, one walk and five strikeouts. Um, and, and thankfully Ozzy Albies who picked up the offense in a big way early on. This Patrick Corbin was rolling and Ozzy himself has been in a, a bit of a funk, but he launched a two run homer early on that it just seemed to kind of wake up the team a little bit. Freddie was not in the lineup again. Uh, because of the upper respiratory infection that he apparently got from his kids, I guess. Um, but Ozzy, that, that two run home run to me felt like it really did change the game early because it, it felt like everybody else was just swinging and missing and making, uh, very little contact on Patrick Corbin. Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, again, Patrick Corbin, he's known for his name more than his most recent production, right? Like as soon as he signed that contract with the Nationals, he hasn't been like a guy that has been particularly scary, uh, as a lefty, as opposed to how scary he was when he was at times, uh, out there in Arizona. But, you know, Ozzy, he continues to mash lefties, hits the two run homer. Um, you know, Freddie comes into that game late too. It was kind of nice to see that he was like back there on the field. A weird situation of him getting pulled out of that game, uh, in that 3-2 loss. I feel like the Braves probably like have a really good chance of winning that game on Saturday if he's in the game, uh, just because that's just another bat that can really like could have maybe taken advantage of some of those offensive 
chances that they had. But, you know, again, when you're slotting in here, Andrianza for Freddie Freeman, you get what you get in some of those games. You know what I mean? So, but in Sunday's case, you know, he comes in too. Uh, you get a two run homer from Adam Duvall as well. RBI double from Austin Riley that he, that he really hit hard. And, you know, all of a sudden Braves, you know, get a healthy five one lead. And, you know, that was a welcome sort of offensive production where it just felt like they were kind of sleepwalking a little bit is the best way I know how to describe yeah. kind of the early part of this game. Uh, things got a little bit more interesting later in the game, obviously, but it was kind of <laughs> nice to see those kind of, uh, those kind of some of those hard hit balls, you know, finding some, finding some daylight and actually getting something done. Yeah. As you said, the bullpen, again, as good as it has been over the last couple of months, honestly, I mean, um, it's night and day from where we were at maybe in May. Um, but again, the bullpen was not overly sharp on Sunday afternoon. Jesse Chavez came in, uh, gave up two runs. Uh, thankfully, Richard Rodriguez, we've been singing his praises all podcast, but uh, Rich Rod came in and was able to work the final out of the seventh inning and then worked a clean eighth inning as well, which was great to see. And then in the ninth inning, Eric, uh, the last time you and I did one of these podcasts, things got a little crazy as we recorded uh, as, as the game was still going on. And while we didn't do that this time, Chris Martin comes in, gives up back-to-back doubles, and suddenly what looked to be back-to-back two-out doubles at that, um, what looked to be a quiet ninth inning got a little hairy. Thankfully, uh, Martin was able to get Josh Bell to ground out for the final out, and the Braves took the series uh, two out of three. But ultimately, it was again, it was one of those games. It's like, all right, boys, I think we were, we were kind of white-knuckling at the last inning or two. Yeah, and the, Martin's line is going to look a really misleading. I don't know how that that double hit to Duvall was ruled a double, but yeah. it was, and it it, sh- it should not have been. Uh, that was an error on Duvall. He should have caught that ball. And then the the double giving up to Zimmerman, like it was a it was a close pitch, I would say, but it was fairly clearly a strike to me. But you know, our old friend Kevin Smith. I'm not sure what he does well at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, like maybe he's good at just calling the game, like the game plan that you know the, yeah. the Braves give him. He like understands the nomenclature and un- and calls the right pitches, which I suppose has value. But you have to frame some of these pitches. You have to give your pitcher a chance. And like you know, it was kind of a low pitch, and like this ball, his glove just kept going down, and it looked like it was like really low and inside when it was actually a strike. And the next pitch gets rocketed for a double. It's five four, and you're like, come on, really? Uh, but you know, settles things down ends up getting Josh Bell to, you know, ground out to end the game. Because I'm pretty sure it was a ground out. Uh, and, you know, all of a sudden it felt, you know, those close games are the ones that have really gotten away from the Braves this year. You know, they mm-hmm. just don't, have not won those close games. So it was nice for them to, you know, take a series win, you know, back-to-back series wins, lock up a five-in-one week, and end on a close game. You know, you wish they had kind of ended a little bit differently where it felt like the bullpen was holding the lead a little better. But, you know, we've already been walking on a fine line with Jesse Chavez being somehow a really productive reliever. So we were kind of due a not particularly great week from Jesse Chavez. So overall, it was it was completely fine. You know, it's, it was a close win. You have some of those shaky games. And it was nice for them to squeak it out. Well, I'm glad you said that because now we, we take a look at the National League East. And I think – uh, this division right now is is pretty crazy. You have the Phillies, who are two games ahead of the Braves. The Phillies have won eight games in a row. They are red hot. They're finally playing uh, up to their talent level. I'm all. I've been frankly, I've been amazed over the last couple of years that team has underperformed the way they have, despite the names that are in their rotation and in their lineup every night. Um, the Mets have lost four in a row. I think they're up to losing seven out of eight now. They lost three out of four to the Marlins during the middle of the week. 
so the Mets are now half a game back of the Braves, which is crazy because a week ago the Mets had a five-game lead on Atlanta. In a week, they yep, lost a yep. five-game lead. They, they're back five and a half games now. Um, and then looking ahead a little bit here, the Braves are off on Monday. Nice off day. Uh, then they're going to welcome in the Cincinnati Reds, who have been playing as well, kind of quietly and under the radar. Uh, the Reds are playing as well as anyone in baseball right now. They have also won five in a row. Uh, they're, they're quietly in the mix in the wild card, and they're only five games back of the Brewers in the Central. And then the Braves will hit the road again for three against the uh, very Washington Nationals uh, next weekend. So just kind of looking over, I guess we could take a step back and see uh, you know, where, where do you see this division going, Eric? I think it's one that's obviously going to honestly get a lot of national attention because it is one of the few races that really does look like it's going to be close over the next two months. Um, you know, where, where do you see everything shaking? And, you know, do you think the Mets are done? Do you think the Phillies are going to come back to earth? What are you seeing right now? So I think that this Red Series is really, really important because, you know, you get the Reds not in their stadium, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that Joey Votto is going to remain being Babe Ruth, uh, where he was up until recently. You know, it's like hitting a home run every game. It felt like, uh, he actually had, it was like five or six games where he hit home runs in a row. And, you know, you, they got back Castellanos and you, that's, a, that's an offense that legitimately can be scary. If you can take that series from the Reds, it feels like the Braves have a real, real chance of getting a lot of good things done. And because that national series, you're playing them at Washington, which is not, you know, they're not scary anywhere right now. They're basically playing a quad A team for the most part. Uh, you know, and, you know, Juan Soto was out dealing with, you know, seemingly like a knee injury. You wonder if he's going to be at full strength or particularly happy for that matter, considering most of the major league roster was traded away at the trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, and they have, they have some guys, I mean, like, look, you know, like Victor Robles is a real player and they have some guys who can play here and there, but that's not a series that scares me all that much. But the red series, it feels like you have to keep pace with the, the, with the Phillies. And that's where that's, the, that's where ground could be either made up or lost is in that red series. Yeah. Uh, I, again, the, the, the Mets, you know, like I, I, every year we do the, the, the division predictions. I'm like, look, the Mets are still the Mets. They always find a way to like, <laughs> you'll know, have like, like have half their roster hurt. They'll have a guy who's supposed to like carry the team and doesn't. Uh, I mean, they're, they're paying like Francisco Lerore $300 million. And I'm not sure that you, you'd want to pay him $10 million a year right now. So yeah. like it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird situation that, you know, I, I, I'm genuinely not particularly scared of the Mets, especially with DeGrom going down with injury and which which genuinely as a fan of baseball stinks because DeGrom is like legitimately when he is healthy and on is probably one of the best pitchers I've ever seen period so oh, yeah. like you know as, as a fan of baseball it sucks but you know for a follower of the Braves who would like for them to make a playoff run you, you look at that Mets roster as con- you know as they've been playing and kind of as constituted they're just not scary they're just not and so it's you know you want to be able to take advantage of you know a, a pretty weak a pretty weak national team. If you can really hand it to the Reds or at least, you know, get two out of three in that series, that goes a long way because I don't think that one thing about the Phillies is that I don't think that they can stay. They, I don't think they're going to stay this hot. I think they can be a winning team, like a winning record team the rest of the way. And in this division, it felt like that might just be enough for a while. But, yeah. you know, if you can keep pace with them, I feel like you can really make up some ground on those guys and maybe put them, you know, put a game or two on them. And that would go a long way. Cause I mean, that two game gap right now, that's what you should be keeping an eye on. And if, if you go four and two next week, you know, maybe you can make up a game there. And that feels like pretty significant going into the stretch run. Yeah, absolutely. It's a quick note. I was looking at the remaining strength of schedules for these three teams. Uh, the Phillies actually have the easiest 
remaining strength of schedule. They have, they yep. actually do have a, a fairly difficult week ahead. They have the Dodgers for three and then the Reds uh, for three after they wrap up their series uh, against the Braves. So the Phillies have a, a pretty tough week ahead, but other than that, their schedule is, is really pretty favorable. Um, the Mets have the 27th remaining strength of schedule. Um, they still have, as it's really said, hard. It, yeah. I mean, it's brutal. Other than the, the Nationals and the Marlins, I think they still play the Brewers, who are in first place. They still have those. We talk for the next two weeks. They have the Dodgers. They have the Giants. I think they still have a, a series with the, the Padres as well. Um, so just something – I mean, it's baseball, right? I mean, it, it's the most baseball thing ever. You'll win two out of three against the Dodgers and then lose two out of three to the Marlins, right? Like, the, that's the game that yep. we love. Yep. Um, but it, it's going to be a really fun race, and I think – um, I, I think as we have seen these trade deadline acquisitions just a couple weeks ago, we were asking, is this team going to buy? Is this team going to sell? And obviously they bought and the returns on it, especially considering they did not give up anything uh, for these guys. Or I guess they shouldn't say anything, but no, no real high, high caliber prospect. Um, it's, it's shaping up to be a really good last two months. And, uh, and hopefully Atlanta can keep making up ground because it, it has been fun uh, watching these games. They finally broke the 500 curse. Uh, we should mention that. They finally broke that ceiling. I think it was on Wednesday night when they did it. Um, Eric, did you have any other final thoughts on, on this last week here? Uh, just a great, great week. Uh, friendly reminder that Alex Anthopoulos has not traded a top 10 prospect in the Brave system since he became a general manager uh, and has been a buyer at the deadline Every single year he's been a member of, has been a general manager for the Braves. Uh, it's been kind of wild, but I couldn't agree more. I think that the, the additions that they, that they, they targeted the right guys for what they were willing to pay. I think that, you know, going all in on this team in this division, uh, was a bit skeptical. Uh, I, I, I certainly, I, I had the Braves dead as the, in the division. I had them like it's a 10% chance of making the, the playoffs. Uh, but obviously the Mets completely imploding changes that picture quite a bit. Um, but you know, what they did is they add, they made the team better. And it wasn't like a crazy, like, you know, getting like a cornerstone guy at the deadline or anything like that. But they got guys who can play, who can be real value. Uh, it's, I'm really interested to see how they're going to use Rosario when he comes back, uh, especially with all these outfielders they've got. You know, like how what these lineups look like, really intriguing to me, uh, which guys they use and when and all that other stuff. But just a really, really important week for the Braves. They played really, really well. Uh, this next week is going to tell us a lot about how the rest of the season is going to go and kind of how much desperation there's going to be, uh, particularly trying to chase down Philadelphia. But overall, just really, really kind of a, a fascinating development for what has been a, a fairly kind of frustrating season just the win-loss win-loss stuff so it's nice to actually talk about something other than just the team you know being one game below 500 again yeah another week of three and three and we'll hope they do better next week yeah no, yep. the yep. last the last little stretch here has been a lot of fun uh eric thank you for joining me i appreciate it um everyone be sure to go take a look at that top 30 prospect list and uh listen to the top 30 podcast which is on this very feed thank you eric for joining me i hope everyone out there uh, is doing great, and we will see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.